Aqualads and Aqualasses, welcome back to the latest installment of Starman, uh, where we take a look at the worst-reviewed matches from wrestling demigod Dave Meltzer, and uh, we take him to court like we're goddamn She-Hulk, and uh, I take a look at the evidence, like, uh, you know, a jury of your peers, my peers, their peers, her peers, his peers, uh, someone whose last name is Peers, Guy Peers? From Iron Man 3? Well, it's a guy, Pierce, but <clears throat> Pierce Morgan? I don't know. I'm trying to think of someone who has Pierce in their name, but I don't give a fuck. It is Starman, like I mentioned. Today, we're continuing the journey across matches that are ranked negative two stars. So they must really suck a whole lot of ass. So on the docket today, there are three, count them, three matches. Which I feel like is something Mean Gene Okerlund said before, which is why I stole that sort of inflection. Three, count them, three big main events at SummerSlam. First one, big double main event, Ultimate Warrior, Ravishing Rick Rude in a steel cage. Hulk Hogan returns, battles the earthquake. And then, 500 pounds of Harlem sewer rats. Uh, now I'm sounding like Vince McMahon versus Drake the Snake. That is a that is a fever dream, folks, that I've just experienced of all sorts of flashbacks to Mean Gene and Vince McMahon simultaneously promoting SummerSlam 1990 while. Uh, <clears throat> singing the song, you know? It's been a couple of rough days in the old Aqua Cave from Mr. C here, so it's my first time backing in front of a microphone in a couple of days, actually in a while, because I record a lot of stuff in advance before it releases, and uh, I didn't expect to not be able to put together coherent thoughts, so I apologize to my audience, the loyal folks that are out there and enjoy the shows. I hope you enjoy this as well. Sort of like in that movie Network where dude breaks down on the air and he's like, damn it, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Although I'm really not mad as hell and I will certainly take it any way you want it. That's the way you need it any way you want it. So three matches, as I mentioned today, uh, covering, uh, well... The 80s and 90s, well, late 80s, early 90s, was practically the same thing. Uh, it still blows my mind to this day when I watch Batman 89, uh, obviously identified by the fact that I call it lovingly Batman 89, that that movie was filmed at the tail end of the 80s. Because aside from Michael Keaton's hair, you really can't tell. But we're going to be dabbling in 1988 WWF, 1989 WWF, and then to cap it all off, uh, we're going to deal with NWA 1990. I don't think they're WCW yet. Oh man, don't hate on me if they are. But yeah, so we're covering a really loving, at the time period that I just fucking love in professional wrestling. And I think we might as well go ahead and get started with our caseload. Oh, and there's some matches that are not pictured as well. We're missing out on a classic from July of 1990. As we've mentioned here on Starman, now that we're getting into the negative twos, apparently Dave has seen some shitty matches in person that are just not available anywhere because, you know, they weren't recorded, they're not on the network or anything like that. But we're missing out on a fantastic banger from July of 1990 that featured the genius battling the son of Zeus himself, Hercules, 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 Hercules. Uh, straight off his recent Emmy nomination from Ted Lasso, the mighty, mighty Hercules, 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 uh, taking on uh, flexible Lanny Poffo, allegedly. Let's fucking bang the gavel and start the courtroom proceedings before I lose everyone else. The first case of the day, case number one, takes us deep into the heart of enemy territory at what I'm just going to call the plaza at the center in Atlantic City, New Jersey, which I've never been to, but I hear is lovely. It's March 27th, 
1988, and it is indeed the double VHS mega box that folds open and shows the pythons, if you will, of the Hulkster. It's WrestleMania 4! And uh, let's get some context of this match, okay? This match is the final match of the quarterfinals in the cha- in the championship tournament. You know the one, the other tournament that isn't Survivor Series. Deadly game! It's a game that we play. Ha, deadly game! What a fantastic theme song that was. Um, but yeah, as we get set up with the tournament, I'm rubbing around and scrubbing on Peacock to try to find the match that I'm looking for. I find it, but I'm like past the ring entrances, so I hit rewind 10 seconds a bunch, and I go so far back that I get to see Hulk Hogan backstroke right out of frame from an interview with Mean Gene Okerlund, and I laughed for probably about a minute straight because I forgot that he did that. We cut to ringside area, and some skinny, coked-out-looking dude is signing an autograph for a child. Apparently, he owns the center at the plaza in New Jersey. I don't really care. Rick Rude, Ravishing One, makes his entrance, and it's fucking dubbed over. Like, didn't we figure all this shit out? Like, didn't we solve all the music rights shit? And here's the problem with that, folks. I think they did, but what's with the laziness of just, like, uploading the WrestleMania 4 DVD to Peacock and being like, there, we nailed it. Like, take the fucking masters. You know, I just saw WWE's posted some job for, like, an internal media content curator for the to work in conjunction with the cock. If you get that job and you listen to this show, which, yeah, will never happen... But please, 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 and nothing against the listening audience. I just don't imagine that, you know, I'm lucky enough to actually reach that person in person. Um, but first thing you do is pull everything and upload the actual legit live versions of these things as they happened. That way we can get the, because the, the, the dubbing rights are so inconsistent is all I'm trying to say. But the Rick Rude dub song does sound like a sexy version of the Naked Gun theme song. This one's more like... See, it's a little sexier there. Uh, Ravishing Rick Rude won the Jesse the Body Award this year, defeating the Ultimate Warrior, uh, because the Ultimate Warrior has to wear face paint, indicating that he's ugly. And Jesse the Body Ventura wonders if it's a gamble letting the ladies see his body as he disrobes. Ravishing Rick Rude says his body means the odds are ever in his favor. But he says, uh, <laughs> that kind of sounded like what I do, Terry Funk. Looking at my body means the odds are ever in my favorite. And he just meant to say favor. A rare miss from the Ravishing One, indeed. I always thought this was Cheryl Roberts on his tights, but that thing doesn't even happen. That being the feud between Ravishing Recruit and Jake the Snake doesn't even happen until April. Jake the Snake Roberts makes his entrance with his awesome fucking theme music. We cut to a kid in the audience with an inflatable Jake the Snake like balloon style snake and fuck me the brand synergy. I love it. I am one of those pieces of shit that always wanted the Hacksaw Jim Duggan foam 2x4 even though I don't like to do construction work and I hate Hacksaw Jim Duggan but I still wanted one. Uh, I can't explain the disconnect. The winner of this match will face the one-man gang in the next round of the tournament. The bell rings, so order in the court for the case of Jake the Snake, 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 Roberts, 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 versus the Ravishing One, Rick, 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 Rude, 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 Rude. Now the bell rings at 1 hour, 14 minutes, and 57 seconds, and we all know This one famously ends in a draw. So if the bell doesn't ring at 1 hour, 29 minutes, and 57 seconds, there are some shenanigans afoot. So look, obviously, we all know it's a negative two-star match uh, because, well, it's on this episode of Starman. However, I do want to give some initial props to some of the early stuff that I'm seeing here. We start with a lockup, and the Ravishing One pushes Jake away and then does his hip swivel taunt. However... They lock up again, and Jake the Snake is such a fucking smart performer. Rude starts to put in the extra effort, uh, pushing forward as if he's going to push Jake back and do the exact same thing. Okay? 
Jake the Snake pulls the old Revenge of the Nerds and just sidesteps away, allowing Rude to put forward all the pressure that he wants, but momentum rules, and so therefore, Ravishing Rick Rude just does a fucking face plant. It's such a small thing, and it's so genius. Jake the Snake, yes, 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 yes. Ravishing Rick Rude hits a scoop slam. Gorilla Monsoon yells, Scoop! It's really not worth anything for the match, not evidence at all, but it reminds me of my old wrestling coach who used to yell, Scoop! when we would have to do scoops during conditioning. And this guy also looked like a 124-pound version of Ravishing Rick Rude right down to the goddamn mullet and the mustache. Not a curly mullet on the old wrestling coach, though. Uh, I'm imagining in my head this guy died when he smoked some crack and it, like, exploded in his face. Nothing against the guy, but it seemed like a rational thought process when I'm thinking about my old wrestling coach. Another game of one-upsmanship as Rubbish and Rick Root goes for another scoop slam, but Jake counters and delivers the scoop slam as if to prove his earlier point with the face plant. You can't outsmart me, okay? I am going to be one step ahead of you at every turn. And again... Jake the Snake is nothing if not cerebral. Great comedic selling when Ravishing Rick Rude finally realizes he's been knocked down into the corner where the Damien bag is. And of course, Rick Rude's a pro and he freaks out in quotation marks. So, hey, not off to a bad start here. Oh, as if they heard my thoughts, Jake the Snake takes control of the match with... Armbar. Now, Rick Rude does fight back by knocking Jake down, and Jake maintains the armbar, and Rick Rude is in such pain from this armbar, he comedically, and I'm doing the finger quotes thing here, sells the pain by dancing, and then eventually takes a back bump off the armbar, and look, this is normally the type of shit that I enjoy because it's ridiculous, uh, but I cannot in my brain close the logical gaps between the back bump and the arm bar. If this was my other show, WCW Must Die, I'd probably give this five stars. But I'm trying to be logical here, and it doesn't make any sense. Now, the shittiest thing about Ravish and Rickard taking this back bump is that it allows Jake the Snake Roberts to go down with him and get in a legitimate really synced in deep arm bar so it's like rude goes down so jake has to follow and then it's just quote-unquote rest hold already arm bar classic staple of starman it wouldn't be a starman match if there wasn't an arm bar introduced into evidence and look this has nothing to do with the match as well but since we're in an arm bar i spend a decent amount of time watching the man that owns the building that they are in and this man hasn't so much as blinked in two minutes straight. It's like he's a goddamn robot. I'm frightened by this man and certainly hope he never holds a seat of power in the country in which I reside. But alas, there is a mini Rick Rude comeback and he powers Jake the Snake Roberts onto the middle rope and Jake the Snake sitting here says, fuck it. I'm just going to hit you with my big knee lift that's usually a setup for the uh, short arm clothesline and then the DDT. And indeed, as a matter of fact, after he hits this knee lift, he signals for the DDT. So this makes character sense. He innovated based on the fact that he was positioned higher up and, you know, hits his setup for the setup and spins the, the finger circle. I mean, look, it's a silly thing, but it makes logical sense given that I know how Jake the Snake matches usually go. Now, Ravishing Rick Rude bails out of the ring, and the uh, the owner of the building slightly turns his head to watch Rude exit the ring. So, okay, he he is indeed alive, uh, and he must be enthralled with the Ravishing One. And that's totally understandable, but if you're that enthralled with Rick Rude, why you live it a lie, man? Just be yourself. You'll probably feel a whole hell of a lot better. Now, we have to pause here because... A fantastic revelation is given to us on commentary, okay? Ravishing Rick Rude uh, is indeed managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan, all right? And he's indeed fearful of the DDT. Jesse the Body Ventura mentions how another manager in professional wrestling, Jimmy Hart, tried to get the DDT banned as a professional wrestling maneuver back when Jake the Snake was feuding with the Honky Tonk Man. And Jesse says, well, I'm sure the brain had some input as well. You know, like, 
Bobby the Brain Heaton and Jimmy Hart has a sort of clandestine meeting where they described, you know, how to get the DDT legally banned. It's the fucking cartoon 80s shit that I just absolutely love about this professional wrestling era. I mean, can you imagine, like, you're watching WWF superstars and then all of a sudden they cut to, like, a swamp and a giant fortress emerges and Vince McMahon's like, Meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom! And the camera zooms in and it's like a round table with all these chairs... You got like Jimmy Hart, Bobby Heaton, Sensational Sherry, The Slickster, Master Fuji, and they're all just debating how to get the DDT banned from professional wrestling in order to uh, better position their heel characters that they manage. It's just, I mean, yes, it's absolutely ridiculous, but that's this is sort of like fake realism that is missing from modern wrestling today, okay? It's like, We've come so far acknowledging that professional wrestling is an art form that's geared for entertainment, but yet we still have the illogical gaps of, like, how come nobody watches the show? Or how come Sami Zayn didn't see Kevin Owens call him a dipshit last week when his back was turned? Does he not watch the show that he's actually on? So, in this cartoony world... All they have to do is drop little breadcrumbs like, well, you know, Bobby the Brain Heenan and Jimmy the Mouth of the South Heart had a had a meeting with President Jack Tunney. It was a closed-door meeting for hours, Monsoon. I sat out there for three hours waiting to have one of them come out so I could get the scoop, Monsoon. And did you know, even after all the evidence, President Jack Tunney, on the take, decided not to ban the DDT, Monsoon. What's up with all this collusion? I don't know. It's just... It's, it's little things that go so far for me as a viewer. And in retrospect, it used to be so much better. Uh, now, now that this tangent is over, let's get back to the courtroom proceedings. Back to our contest now with a stalemate. Both combatants look at one another, confused. Jesse, the body Ventura on commentary, stalls for time. You know, this is the last bout of the first round, Monsoon. I check my watch. There's still about ten minutes to go. So it shouldn't surprise me when we get lock-up, armbar, and some booze. Eventually, Jake Roberts goes for the real version of his knee lift. Uh, During this encounter, though, as he's on the hunt, stalking his prey, he signals for Rick Rude, both visually and verbally, to stay down longer. Rick Rude does not oblige. And Jake goes forward anyway, exposing the business. He misses a knee drop. He has a ridiculously large oversell of flying into the air, missing the knee drop. It's like a goddamn Looney Tune. He also earns himself a lifetime of neck problems by the way he lands on uh, his uh, C7 vertebrate uh, 22... E uh, 36 double D at the connectivity with the 42X equals negative B plus minus the square root of B squared minus 4AC over 2A, which of course is the most dangerous part of the neck. Bobby yells at Ravishing Rick Rude not to waste time. So the Ravishing One, of course, gets in a few more licks and kicks and then does his patented hip taunt. So it would appear that Bobby the Brain Heenan, the manager, doesn't want Rick Rude to waste time. Bobby the Brain Heenan, the person, is trying to remind Rick Rude that it's going to a time limit, so maybe he should stall. And to me, this is an obvious example of a coach calling the play on camera, again, exposing the business. Reverse chin lock! Hey, here's something that's cool. Bobby Heenan distracts the referee so ravishing Rick Rude can choke Jake the Snake. It's extremely elementary, but extremely effective. Some more minor offense by the Roodster. We go back to the chin lock. On commentary, Gorilla mentions this is a special elimination tournament, as opposed to a single elimination tournament, question mark? But the big saving grace about this entire match, folks, and I cannot enter it into evidence, I'm just going to say it out loud, is at least Gorilla and Jesse are somewhat entertaining on commentary. A chin lock now arrives, and it's 1 hour, 27 minutes, and 8 seconds into the Peacock feed. When this chin lock is applied, and Jake the Snake beats the arm drops. He does the babyface fire up shit, and I don't understand that to this very day, because it looks like Jake the Snake has spent all of his energy shaking his arms and stomping his legs, trying to get the crowd into getting him hyped up. It makes zero sense. This chin lock is still applied as Jake the Snake gets to a standing position. He counters this chin lock with a stutter! 
Actually, that was pretty cool. I appreciated that quite a bit. Uh, the Trumpster has no reaction to this. Still hasn't blinked since he cocked his head to watch Rude roll out of the ring. What the fuck is wrong with this man? The short arm clothesline, the finger spin, and the ram into the corner counter uh, defeats the DDT. You know, it's like there needs to be like a rock, paper, scissors game with a DDT. Like if I do DDT, uh, you can counter with back body drop, uh, ram into the corner, uh, perhaps uh, uh, fucking German non-release suplex bridge pitting combination. Yeah, that works. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I'm just, just, just a little scissors joke. Just a little rock joke. You should only be concerned if you scissors. I, I fucked that whole thing up. But you know what? I'm not redoing it. Uh, eventually, we get a pretty decent side suplex by the Ravishing One. And at 1 hour, 29 minutes, and 37 seconds, there is a double clothesline. Jake the Snake visibly puts Rude's arm on top of him, indicating a pinfall scenario, exposing the business. At 1 hour, 29 minutes, and 57 seconds, when the bell should ring, the referee is on two. I swear to God. And, and it's like the most perfect scenario I've ever seen for the time limit draw. However, the bell doesn't ring. And I'm not even, like, I'm not kidding. I was watching the clock the whole time. One hour, 29 minutes, 57 seconds. That's exactly 15 minutes. The referee's hand is literally in the fucking air after hitting a two. I mean, it was perfect. And Trump's head does move slightly forward, I noted here as well. Uh, The ravishing one, though tries for another pin. He puts his feet on the ropes and the bell rings at two this time. So they improvise this extra sequence at the end. It's fucking stupid. Uh, Absolutely guilty, guys. These guys are professionals. They should know better. Wrestling 101 says that, number one, time limit draws need to end with the hot pinning sequence. Is that a good thing? No! But it's Wrestling 101, and I I just... I don't want to talk about this match anymore. It bored the shit out of me, and I- I'm sorry. Like, I hate to do it to these guys. I thought for sure I'd watch this and be like, all right, I'm going to prove all the experts wrong and be like, this isn't as bad as they say, but you know what? It really, really is. Uh, moving ever forward, let's head one year into the future. It's August 1989, and it's SummerSlam, where the Mega Powers... Continue to explode. You know, it's like, you know, in those old 80s action movies where like Van Damme presses the button and the like big boat explodes, but they really want to get their money's worth out of it. So they show it explode three times. Uh, I like to call it the unnecessary replay. Um, that's kind of what this explosion is, because the, the first explosion hit at uh, WrestleMania 5. The second explosion hits at SummerSlam, and then the final unnecessary replay of the Mega Powers exploding hits at the No Holds Barred pay-per-view in the Steel Cage! It's August 28th, 1989, in the Meadowlands Arena. Once again, in the fucking state of New Jersey, just like our last match was, I feel like this episode of Starman should be sponsored by legendary filmmaker Kevin Smith. Hold on. Guys, I told you not to bring me paper while I'm recording. Supposed Supposed to read it now? Okay. Folks, I've just been handed some copy. Uh, 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 apparently, uh, I have something important to read. <clears throat> Hungry? Thirsty? Stressed out and desperately need some smokes? Well, if that's the case, just visit the Quick Stop. 58 Leonardo Avenue, Leonardo, New Jersey. Warning, just because they serve you doesn't mean they like you. Holy shit, this episode of uh, Starman was sponsored by Kevin Smith. I'll be goddamn. All right. Order in the court. Enough shenanigans. Enough salesmanship. Let's start the context for the case of the American Dream. Dusty Rhodes versus the Honky Tonk Man. He's cool. He's cocky. He's bad. A little bit of context. So, again, I'm scrubbing through the Peacock stream here. And I noticed that right before the match, the Brain Busters defeat the Heart Foundation. And I'm willing to bet that it's going to be at least a year before the Heart Foundation gets in contention for a title shot, Monsoon. To- uh, Monsoon, though, I hear the voice of Tony Schiavone. He sends us to Mean Gene with the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. As we transition, the videotape scratches and crinkles like it's an old tape. That the tracking is fucked up. And I bet Vince McMahon hates this, but I kind of love it. Dusty Rhodes has the big boss man's police hat and his nightstick. Dusty says he hasn't been this excited since his first date with Sally Good. At least that's what I think it says. A a quick rewind in installing the closed caption indicates that 
Dusty said he hasn't been this excited since his first date with Indistinct. So, no one clearly knows who he's talking about. But then immediately after that, Dusty says he's the proprietor of the Heartbreak Hotel. And Heartbreak Hotel is said clear as day. Fucking any idiot could hear what this man says. But it says he's the proprietor of, again, Indistinct. I don't understand these closed captioners. He says, I am the man that wears the blue suede shoes. You can't sing. It's just a fucking awesome transition. I'm not doing it justice. He says he can outdance the honky-tonk man as well. And then ends with, I'm going to kick your booty. And then he stares blankly into the camera with a shit-eating grin as we fade back into the arena. The honky-tonk man is with the colonel, Jimmy Hart. And I'll tell you what, guys. I've been watching so much year 2000 WCW. The hearing Tony Schiavone on an fucking Federation-era WWF show is blowing my fucking mind. As Dusty Rhodes come out, uh, the Fink is like, weighing 298 pounds from Austin, Texas, or wherever he's from in Texas. It doesn't matter. And I have to redo the whole thing. From Austin, Texas. And this is the part where the Fink would say, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. But as he starts to say the American Dream, Tony Schiavone completely blows his load all over the Fink's words on commentary by saying, Dusty Rhodes is on his way down to the ring. And he's not wrong, but I bet Vince McMahon was in his ear all pissed off. Damn it, you don't talk over the ring announcements, Schiavone. This isn't Turner. This isn't down south. Dusty's dancing is absolutely amazing here as he's in the ring. He's kind of doing like a one-leg shimmy. It looks like he's like in the crane kick position. Like he's got on standing on one leg. It's fucking fantastic. And the bell rings. So once again, folks, I have to ask for order in the court if you will. A quick glance as these combatants face off one another. I kind of feel like I'm on the top deck of a cruise liner where tops are optional and some ladies are watching the proceedings. It's a little gross. <laughs> Uh, cool moment, though, as a honky-tonk man stalls for just a quick second. Then he enters the ring and has either an epileptic seizure or some fucking funky-ass dance moves. I wasn't quite sure, but then... The Dream dances as well. Holy shit! They're breakdance fighting! Ooh, Chad, things are gonna get easier someday. We'll put it together and we'll get it undone. Someday when your head is much lighter. Here's the best part. Yeah, let's go. Someday. Anywho, the fans clearly declare that Big Dust is the winner by cheering louder for his dance move. Dusty backs the honky-tonk man into the corner. The referee calls for separation as he should, and Dusty abides. But as he backs up and walks to the center of the ring, he turns around and crouches into a unique dance position that reminds me of the night that I met my wife. Got birds and I'm running, yeah, about a hundred, yeah. Girl, you looks good, won't you back that ass up? You're a fine motherfucker, won't you back that ass up? Call me Big Dusty when I back that ass up. Oh, who's you playing with? Back that ass up. I don't know why I know the words of that song, but that's, uh, yeah, that's how I met her. It was pretty fun. Dusty uh, winds up with a big, no, well, let me, let me, let me clear, clarify, okay? Dusty approaches the honky-tonk man for violence. He winds up his for his big elbow smash, and the honky-tonk man fucking bails immediately, showing that this is indeed a move that should be feared, okay? Honky-tonk man gets back in the ring. They lock up. Armbar. Oh, no. Dusty's in control of this armbar, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, fuck me. I can't take any more armbars. He then winds up his elbow places it gently in the joint of the honky-tonk man's arm to make the honky-tonk man think more pain is coming. The honky-tonk man begs, prepares for pain, but Dusty counters by quickly messing up the honky-tonk man's hair. This puts the honky-tonk man into a controlled frenzy and is absolutely hilarious and just a perfect example of Dusty knowing what the crowd really wants to see, in my opinion. All right? I don't want to see these guys fucking trade holes holds. I want to see Dusty fuck with the honky-tonk man and the honky-tonk man be a shit heel. All right? So I'm kind of invested in this thing early on. Now, right after this, in another great example of how characters like this should wrestle a match, 
Dusty gets the Honky Tonk Man into the corner and gets all ten corner punches so the crowd can count along. Now, sure, it's super elementary, uh, but the Honky Tonk Man is absolutely the type of character that should eat all ten corner punches. I mean, come on. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Now, if Dusty's in here with, like, Diesel, okay, and he gets all ten corner punches, then we've got a problem, but this is not that. Now, uh, the Honky Tonk Man falls out of the corner, and Dusty puts on, I, I, I guess what I'm going to politely call a hamstring stretch, okay? Honky's in the center of the ring on his back, and Dusty's really honestly just holding Honky Tonk Man's right leg straight up. Dusty should at least push it forward so the Honky Tonk Man's kind of kissing his own knee uh, to actually stretch out that quad hamstring area and make it fucking hurt. Now, I know from being an almost 40-year-old dude who's not very, uh, who, who's momentumless or not very athletic, uh, that stretch hurts. So I could see that being painful, but Dusty's kind of not putting in the extra effort. Tony mentions that Dusty Rhodes is on fire and he's wearing the polka dots. Jesse the Body Ventura says he heard Dusty Rhodes won the most abs portion of the Mr. America contest. As Jesse says this, Kevin Dunn legitimately zooms in on Dusty's ass. So, it's 1989. You've paid for a a WWF pay-per-view. You went through the hassle of getting the cable box. You hooked it up. And what you're paying for is about a four-second shot where the entire screen is composed of the polka-dotted ass of Dusty Rhodes. You know what, Vin Man and Dunster? You're trying to make fun of Big Dust, but I love it. It's backfiring, and I love Polka Dot Dusty Rhodes all the more. Now, Honky Tonk Man pokes Dusty in the eyes, and it ends this hamstring thing pretty quickly. It's, it's probably about 15 to 18 seconds. And so, while the hamstring thing was dumb, Honky Tonk Man intelligently says, All right, let, let's move on to something else here. And I appreciate that. However, uh, Big Dust tries to get back on offense, but during some referee interference, he takes a gut shot when the uh, Honky Tonk Man gets a hold of Jimmy Hart's megaphone. Okay, Now, that's fine, but the gut shot looks pretty weak. And, much like Thor, Honky Tonk Man probably should have gone for the head. But he goes for the gut, and, and, and that'll, that'll carry forward. Okay, Now, Honky Tonk Man is in control, and his control segment is pretty typical for an 80s heel, but again, it's short. Dusty fires back, uh, but he's put down with a knee to the gut. So there you go. Honky Tonk Man went for the gut with the megaphone, and then he shoots down the hope spot with a simple elementary knee to the gut. Again, it's not 57 flips in the Tokyo Dome, but the man's gut is hurt, and so Honky takes advantage of it. Now, unfortunately, Honky Tonk Man goes for the sleeper, or a reverse chin lock, whatever you want to call it, okay? This goes on for a bit, and Big Dust does does defeat the arm drop spots. You know, he, he fires up at two. But, uh, you know, his fire, his fire up spot doesn't get much fanfare, and that's unfortunate. He misses an elbow, so back to the chin lock for a longer chin lock sequence. Dusty does get another comeback after the chin lock goes on a little too long, and he's floating like a butterfly, stinging like a bee, punching and dancing around like Muhammad Ali. And I appreciate that. It makes sense. Dusty misses a corner charge, and the honky-tonk man brutally throws Dusty into the referee. And it looks good. Like, shit. I bet that ref's out of it. Dusty Rose is a big dude, and he... This referee eats all of Dusty Rhodes, okay? The honky-tonk man calls for the guitar. He holds Dusty in place so Jimmy can batter up. Jimmy does. Dusty ducks. And this guitar murders the honky-tonk man. There is absolutely zero fucking give. Dusty drops an elbow for a little bit of extra effort. One, two, three. And Big Dust dances his way into victory. A little bit of extracurricular here. The Honky Tonk Man and Jimmy Hart are in the aisle, and Sean Mooney uh, attempts to get some words about this encounter from the Honky Tonk Man, and the Honky Tonk Man is completely disheveled. His hair is all fucked up. He looks like Doc Brown from Back to the Future. I expected Honky Tonk Man to be like, Mooney, we've got to get back. Back to the future. 
But he's like, oh, yeah, oh, a lot of people, ooh, Priscilla, ooh, a lot of people came to see me sing. Uh, someone find the Honky Tonk Man a stage. <laughs> and that is that, all right? So, definitely some interesting evidence here. And look, they did the absolute right match that they should have for their characters, okay? This match wasn't like a feud. This is one of those 80s pay-per-view matches where it's like, yeah, let's just give the folks a match they would normally see on the house show circuit. You know, um, I think, you know, like Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Dino Bravo at WrestleMania 6. I mean, it makes sense. He's foreign. Uh, I'm USA. Ho! We don't have a feud, but it makes sense for us to do a pay-per-view style battle. Same thing here. Dusty's charismatic good guy. Honky's charismatic bad guy. Let's have them do a house show match on pay-per-view. Unfortunately, this match is absolutely guilty of being about two minutes longer than it should be. The second Dusty in the sleeper reverse chin lock sequence is one too many. However, the match is absolutely not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty of being a negative two-star match. I mean, come the fuck on. You're going to sit there with a straight face and tell me that this match is worse than the, than the negative one-and-a-half-star Hogan-Savage cage match from Uncensored 98, which I swear is going to be the... It continues to be the barometer going forward. Because that match was a 20-minute long cage match with a no finish that was the main event of a pay-per-view. I know this isn't the same thing, but come the fuck on. You're going to give that negative one-and-a-half and this negative two capital bullshit. All right? Not guilty. A little bit of synergy here, all right? This verdict uh, answers a question that I pondered a couple of days ago on Twitter. We know Dave gave this match negative two. I found it not guilty. And legendary podcast journalist Aaron George covered the Honky Tonk Man on the Wrestler That Was show over on the North-South Connection Podcast Network. And look, I never knew I wanted an hour and a half podcast on the fucking Honky Tonk Man, but it's fantastic. Aaron finds such entertaining and interesting ways to cover these characters that are indeed characters. I think he gave this two and a half or two and three quarters. And you know what? I know that Aaron's base is two and a half. I'm not going to argue with that, okay? Because this is better than just your normal throw them out there match. It's funny. That chin lock, that second sequence, the honky tonk second heat sequence is a bit much. I don't rank matches professionally. I'm not capable of doing it, okay? I will freely admit to that. I could give AJ Styles and Nakamura four and a half, and I could end up giving Ernest the Cat Miller and Chris Candido five, if it's the right set of circumstances, okay? Uh, So I'm not the right guy to give actual star rankings. But I'm kind of Team Aaron here, not because he helped me get started on my podcast journey, but because I completely agree with the points that he made, and I completely disagree with Dave's final ranking. So... Put a bow on it. Listen to Aaron's podcast on the North-South Connection Podcast Network feed. Listen to anything on there, especially the Multiverse of Fabulousness as well. Cheap plug for myself. But there's so much shit there. So much. And I don't, I don't say shit in a bad way. I say shit lovingly. So much good shit, pal, over there on that feed. So take a listen. Um, unfortunately, folks, I've been handed another piece of breaking news here in the Aqua Cave on Starman that I need to take a look at. Okay, so, all right. <laughs> I'm going to come clean. The next match was scheduled to be from Halloween Havoc 90, the Freebirds versus the Youngbloods in a tag team encounter. However, I did a little bit of research, okay? Uh, When I loaded up Halloween Havoc 90, I noticed right away that it's listed at being like an hour and 50 minutes, okay? Uh, Well, I know that's bullshit because it's at least three hours or shy of three hours because all pay-per-views are, you know. And uh, a little bit of further research. Uh, This pay-per-view is missing a bunch of matches, and a bunch of the matches are clipped. Now, full disclosure, Freebirds Youngbloods did make the cut. Somehow. I don't know why. Especially if Dave gave it negative two. I don't know why they chose this. But the match is 17 fucking minutes long, and it's clipped to shit on the Peacock stream. Okay? So, I didn't want to watch this match anyway. Because, number one, who could give a fuck less about these two teams? But I could I, I can't fucking handle watching them in a 17-minute match, okay? And I'm not trying to kill the integrity of this project, but I'm going to take an educated fucking guess 
and say that it's guilty and move on. Especially when I see what the next match on the list is. So, there's your fucking third match. Special bonus attraction, a fourth match! We're going to move one year in the future, almost, almost completely a year, to September of 1991. For Clash of the Champions 2000. No, wait. It's Clash of the Champions 16. Sorry. Whenever I see a wrestling show that ends in 16, I always think it's 2000. Uh, it's Clash of Champions 16 Fall Brawl from Augusta, Georgia in the Augusta Civic Center on September 5th, 1991. For the case of Terrence Taylor versus... Heavy Metal Van Hammer. That's my Gary Michael Capetta impression for everybody. All right, a little bit of context here. Uh, Terrence Taylor comes down to the ring with Marlena York. Or actually, wait, it's Alexandra York is the character's name. She would go on to such future successes as being Dakota's mommy, King. uh, Or Dustin Runnels' uh, former wife, Marlena in the WWF. She's carrying a portable computer that I imagine it costs probably about $100,000 in the year 1991. Now, Terrence Taylor's theme music is definitely the off-brand or great value music of a, or excuse me, great value brand version of a real song. Now, the song that it is a parody of is a song that you've heard a trillion times. I've heard it a trillion times. It's in so many TV shows and so many movies. I finally said, fuck it, I'm looking up what this song is called. Because I, I, I I've, never, I've never known the name of it. I just know it's the song. All right. Uh, now, I'm going to tell you the name and who sings it in quotation marks. It's an instrumental song. Okay. And I thought to myself, God, how do I fucking Google this? Because that's one of the hardest things about Google. You know what you want. I can't just Google, what's the name of that fucking song I hear all the time, but don't know what it's called, all right? Although I would be crazy uh, curious to know what Google sends me back if I, uh, if I do that. I bet there's some sort of website that has a register of like all those songs that you know you know, but you don't know what they're called, and now this is a side quest I didn't intend to get on. But the song is called Pick Up the Pieces by Average White Band. Now, the way I did Google it was I looked up What's the song that Justin Hammer dances to in Iron Man 2? Because Sam Rockwell, the fucking badass actor slash dancer that he is, uh, dances on stage in Iron Man 2 when he's presenting the uh, Crimson Dynamo slash Whiplash uh, drone robots to the audience at the Stark Expo. Let me perform or hum a bar. So now you know exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. It's crystal fucking clear like Pepsi. Alright? But uh, I gotta give him credit. This is some good strutting music if you're the, if you're the uh, computerized man of the 90s as fucking Terrence Taylor is indeed. Alright? And I'm thankful for this match for teaching me what this song was called. And like I said, Gary Michael Capetta does announce him as the computerized man of the 90s. I'm just happy he's not the computerized woman of the 80s. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, folks, it's the chick from Superman 3 that gets transformed into the walking fucking robot lady that shoots lasers. Okay? Have you seen Superman 3? It's fucking fantastic. But who the hell didn't have nightmares because of the computer lady from Superman 3. I don't know that I can talk about it anymore. I'm freaking out just thinking of it. Yikes. Uh, Another fun note about the computerized man here. His ring jacket is clearly a repurposed red rooster coat, and I love it. Uh, As they enter the ring, Alexander York gives a few last-minute notes from the computer. Uh, And I just fucking love this idea that the computer is going to teach Terry Taylor how to win wrestling matches. It's just, oh, I just love, love, love when computers are used for shit where the people writing the script have no idea what they're talking about. So, I'm already digging this quite a fucking bit. His opponent is making his first appearance in World Championship Wrestling, according to Gary Michael Capetta, but he calls him the heavy hitter, Van Hammer. And I'm like, what the fuck? He's heavy metal, 
Van Hammer. Speaking of Van Hammer, his entrance has to be seen to be believed, okay? He has some sort of unique entrance power, okay? Van Hammer will do a movement, and then a very weak pyrotechnics explosion will hit. For example, he stomps his foot, weak pyro. He spins in place, weak pyro. He weakly strums his guitar, weak pyro. And if Van Hammer knows how to play that guitar, I will eat my fucking hat. Okay? I don't believe for a second that this man knows what he's doing. Now, Jim Ross, as Van Hammer walks to the ring, his pyro now finished, uh, that he likes to call himself heavy metal Van Hammer. So I don't know if there's some miscommunication there or some last-second notes that JR had to get in. A lot of charisma on this big man. <laughs> During Van Hammer's entrance, folks, his mouth is open the entire time. When he enters the ring, he holds his guitar up like it's a championship title. Mouth still agape and wide open. He then keeps the guitar in the air and marches around the ring like a toy soldier, pumping the guitar as his steps make impact to the ring canvas. He then pivots the guitar from being straight in the air to over his shoulder in the knapsack position, like he's a goddamn hobo trying to catch a train, and marches around some more. And holy shit, his back is turned, and the computerized man of the 90s hits Van Hammer in the back of the skull with the computerized computer of the 90s, but it's before the bell because now the bell rings, so let's get order in the court. The computer has no effect. Van Hammer pushes Terry Taylor. Terry Taylor takes a back bump and rolls to his knees. Van Hammer hits a body slam. Taylor charges again. Body slam. Van Hammer hits the ropes. Clothesline. Hits the ropes. Clothesline. Hits the ropes. Clothesline. So this motherfucker just hit three straight clotheslines. He stops at the ropes after the third one and shakes him violently and bobs his head. Gimmick infringement okay van hammer watched himself some ultimate warrior tapes all right he's in the bag with jim ross, jim ross just, just do what this guy does king <laughs> and he's like king oh, my name's heavy metal van hammer nah, that's fucking not even funny but uh after he shakes the ropes he hits a face first suplex on the computerized man of the 90s then he spins his finger in the air for about three seconds, signaling something is about to happen. What happens is a musically timed seizure as Van Hammer uh, headbangs some more and shakes his entire body. But then he finally gets into his next uh, maneuver of the matchup. It's stomp, stomp, clap, stomp, stomp, clap, stomp, stomp, clap, stomp, stomp, clap. Van Hammer, he's in the ring, and he's going to make the audience sing, sing, sing. No blood on his face. He's certainly a disgrace. Van Hammer shitting shit all over the ring. I'm going to stop. But the audience plays along with this stomp, stomp, clap nonsense. I can't believe it. But there are a lot of children in the ring, according to the wide shot. Van Hammer, after getting the crowd engaged with stomp, stomp, clap, uh, goes to the corner with his back turned to the turnbuckles facing his opponent. So that'll give him credit for that at least. Van Hammer leaps to the top turnbuckle, slips, but does catch balance on the second turnbuckle and slowly positions himself on the top turnbuckle. He jumps. Jim Ross says, Oh, he hit a big knee drop to the man's back! But Van Hammer leaps. He drops a knee, but... Van Hammer's entire body, including his knee, misses Terrence Taylor by a country mile. He sticks a superhero landing, though, and rolls forward and jumps up into the air with his hands raised like O'Doyle fucking rules. All right? Uh, a couple of headbangs for no reason. He goes over to Terrence Taylor, turns him back, uh, turns him on his back so his shoulders are down, puts two hands on the man's chest like he's a badass, headbangs some more, and the ref hits the one, two, three. The match is over. It's a minute and four seconds, and this was fucking amazing. It's absolutely guilty of a negative two-star encounter, but it's one minute of pure absolute shit. And when you encompass the ring entrances that go with that and all the fun I had, this might be the best, like, five minutes I've had of my life in quite some time. But look, look, it's fun. 
We're having fun, hopefully. But this is guilty, all right? Now, I understand putting over a new character with a squash, totally. I got nothing against that, and that's not even why this is guilty. When you... There are three big components of this squash match that are clear to me that Van Hammer is not worth being the squasher. He should be the squashy. And that is why I'm okay uh, with finding the match guilty at the negative two stars. All right. Number one, the ultimate warrior gimmick infringement. That is pure evil. All right. Should not happen. Uh, number two, Van Hammer having the balls to attempt to jump all the way to the top rope without looking and slipping, and then the egregious missing of the big knee. I mean, seriously, uh, two blown spots in less than a minute, because the first thing is, like I said, just gimmick infringement, and I'm personally not okay with that. But in a one-minute and four-second match, yep, you're the squasher and you blew two spots. Sorry, folks. The heavy metal has fallen on Van Hammer's career and crushed it into oblivion. And you know what? That's going to actually put the kibosh on this episode of Starman Negative 2 as well. Uh, an interesting episode. You know, we had a long-ass stinker. We had a match that wasn't a stinker, but maybe a few minutes too long. And then we had one of the best, I don't know, four or five minutes in the history of our recent sport uh, to, you know, to make a Tony Schiavone joke that's not really funny but again, super fucking guilty but I would absolutely take more of these negative two star one minute matches as opposed to the goddamn Hollywood Hulk Hogan Macho Man NWO has exploded steel cage match which continues to be the barometer for the worst shit I've watched on Star Man but we're going to keep moving forward in the Aqua Cave, releasing Starman episodes as we can. Come back and check out all the heavy hitters that will be coming onto the Aqua Cave in the future. We're still moving forward with UPN, WCW, Must Die as well. And over the weekend, we dropped a new episode of Kingfish, which was a ridiculous amount of fun. It was the craziest Shane McMahon has ever been on commentary so far, and it featured the actual WWF debut of Gangrel. Super fucking fun to see as well. But Johnny C is going to check out you all. Keep reaching for the stars, and we'll see you the next time Starman heads your way. <laughs>